as we get started, a few announcements. One, just please get a bulletin and keep up with this. Um, a couple things. One, this week, Wednesday night, we have our leadership team meeting. Uh, so that'll be this Wednesday evening before our service, uh, probably about 545. Uh, I say about because we never get started quite on time, but th that'll be this Wednesday night. And then the other thing that I want to mention and, and highlight is that several people have been kind of talking about doing some scripture memorization and kind of challenging themselves to do that in the upcoming year. Uh, memorizing scripture is just an important way that we can take God's word and hide it in our heart. Uh, one, one thing that sometimes people think is, like, I can't memorize Number one, you can. We, we all have memories. God gave us memories and it just takes a little, a little work. The other thing is sometimes people think, well, I memorize stuff and then in a month from now, I won't be able to remember it anymore. Two things I'll say about that. One, you remember more than, than you realize because sometimes that, those verses God will just bring to your mind. Uh, and the other thing is this. Memorizing scripture sometimes is just an important way that we can meditate on the word of God. So even if you can't remember it in a month from now, it does feed your soul right now. And so if I were to ask you, what did you eat last month on the first Tuesday of the month? Probably you wouldn't be able to remember. Maybe some of you are that scheduled and routine that you could recall that, but most of you probably wouldn't be able to remember that. And yet it nurtured your body in that time. And so it is with scripture memorization. Uh, there are things that we memorize in the moment. They feed our souls. They nurture us spiritually. We feed on them. We don't necessarily remember them in the future, but they help us now. So I say all that to say some of us are going to take this challenge and try to memorize God's word in the upcoming year. Uh, a good way, there's different ways you could do that. You could do it however you want to, but what some of us will be doing is using these fighter verses from Desiring God, uh, and there's a different verse for each week. Uh, I have this, which I probably honestly won't use because there's an app that you can get either on uh, in the iTunes store or the Google Play store. It's, it's on both of them if you have a smartphone. And uh, I don't have my phone on me. I was going to pull that out. But, but it will give you the verse for that week. And then it help, has helpful little quizzes that you can take, like it'll remove some of the words so that you can practice it. And most of us are on our phones all the time anyway. So just a great way for you to, to get God's word into your heart. Uh, so I put a big plug in for that. I hope that you uh, will work on that with us this upcoming year. Uh, if you'd like more details or you're interested, you could talk to me if you'd uh, uh, like to find out more about that. This morning, as we get started, I want to call our attention to the book of Romans for our call to worship. Vance is going to be preaching here in a few minutes from Ephesians about uh, the Holy Spirit and the command not to quench the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to read in Romans chapter 8 to, to call have our call to worship this morning. Romans chapter 8. Verse number one says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that in our flesh we are sinful, that we are pulled by our sin nature in directions that are not pleasing to you. We know that it is easy for us to set our minds on the things of the flesh, but this morning we want to pray that your spirit would be the dominating force in our lives. We pray that you would, uh, that you would grant to us the ability to yield our minds, to yield our hearts, to yield our wills and, and our lives to your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would not walk in the flesh, but in the spirit. We pray that you would, in this upcoming year, as we think about the new year, uh, that, that we would be led not to grieve the Holy Spirit, to, but to walk in the Holy Spirit. We lift up this morning, we, we ask for your blessing on our service as we worship you, as we give, uh, as we hear your word preached. We pray that you would be pleased with all that we do. We pray this morning for Vance as he comes to preach your word. We pray that your blessing would be upon him. We pray that your spirit would fill him and empower him uh, to preach your word with boldness and with clarity. God, build up your church, we pray this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Have our ushers come forward this time for our offering this morning. What a good reminder. I've just been impacted as Jerry Howard was here a couple weeks ago and just telling us about his ministry in China through the IMB Um, and then hearing the news about Christians in China who are are being persecuted and in prison uh, that has just had a great and profound impact on me those two events kind of coinciding at at, uh, the same time Uh, and I I just want to encourage us today's the last day for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering We're, we're a few hundred dollars short of our goal uh, so I'd encourage you to give to that so that we can reach that goal and, and continue to uh, support these missionaries who are, are really giving their lives uh, to go to very difficult places and spread the gospel. Let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, 
Indeed, your son, Jesus Christ, is all that we have and all that we need. Lord, I pray that there may be some here this morning, no doubt, who don't know that experience. That's not the confession of their heart and of their soul. They are looking for things in this world to satisfy them. Um, God, I just pray that you would help them see the futility of, of chasing after career and money and relationships. Help all of us come to a place where, where the thing that we just sang is the true confession of our heart, that, that truly you are all that we have and all that we need. We lift up missionaries, Lord, through the IMB, those that we're seeking to support. We, we pray that you would bless them and encourage them with that same reality. No doubt many of them are, are more familiar with that than we are as we sit in, in luxury and in comfort uh, and uh, with our family and, and our country. Uh, many of them are already very much aware of the reality that you are all they have and all they need. I just pray that this morning that you would give them a fresh sense of that, that they would know it once more, that you would encourage them in the work that they're doing. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our offering this morning uh, and, and that you would use it for uh, the, the furtherance of your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name that we ask all of this. Amen. All right. Good morning. I hope everyone had a good Christmas. I sure did. We're actually going to pick up in our... Uh, bit of a series, our study in Ephesians. Y'all can be turning there to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're really going to focus on just one verse. That's my favorite because it lets us go deep. Um, Ephesians 4 verse 30. This morning, we're like Andrew said, we're discussing the Spirit. It's not something entirely... Uh, unrelated to what we've been celebrating so we celebrate the most profound gift to all of creation that is that comes in Christ this morning we get to talk about the most profound gift that's been given to all those who believe and that's the spirit so if you would I'm going to begin in verse 25 and that will help sort of repeat some of what you've already heard preached and allow us to have a little bit more context as we get into the word Ephesians 5 beginning in verse 25 just a, a reminder too, I almost forgot to mention, um, I'll be reading out of the ESV, we've got new pew Bibles there, if anyone doesn't have one, please take it with you, that's our gift to you, so that you, everyone would have a, a copy of God's Word. Ephesians 5.25 Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. In our text this morning, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Join me in prayer as we open up this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you with just thankfulness and awe. 
We've already began with prayer, offering worship. Father, now as we dive into Your Word for us this morning, Lord, we pray that that You forgive us. Lord, that You meet with us. Lord, that You cleanse us. Allow us to worship You rightly. Be with me that I present Your Word with all truth. Father, that we could experience Your presence with us this morning and not grieve the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So before we jump into the text, I I think we really need to look through some of the the larger picture of what's been going on here, and I want to address a couple of issues. Um, First, this this point in Ephesians chapter 4 is pretty intimidating. If you're anything like me, I get intimidated. There are a lot of to-dos and not-to-dos and to-be and not-to-be's. And we can walk away, the temptation I think is to walk away with a rather large and difficult list of uh, behaviors that we ought to change to somehow put ourselves in right relationship with God. And I want to draw your attention to a little bit of the flow there uh, of the passage and hopefully change your mind. The preaching up to this point, we've been in Ephesians for quite some time with a few exceptions and it maybe even to some of you has sounded a, a bit redundant. That's not just the fault of the preacher. Paul's actually been repeating himself. If we were to go right before the text where we just opened up, you all can look at verse 24. Paul's already been explaining, uh, putting off the old self, putting on the new, and he says something right there in verse 24. And, and be renewed, I began in 23, I'm sorry, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He jumps back into his topic and he says, uh, be this way, don't be that, more of putting on the bad behaviors, putting on the new. And then we come to our text, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit in whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Right after that, it seems like he forgot where he was going and he, and he, and he jumps right back into... And, and let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander all be put away. He says something else. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. So that's one of the beauties in going through a large portion of text the way we have as we get to see that flow. And it seems to me that, that our passage this morning really serves the role of a, a bit of a refrain and a beautiful chorus that's focused on God. And so, ironically, this isn't just a a checklist of to-dos for you. It's more about the identity that you now have in Christ. And so, we begin, I think, for us to handle our passage this morning and and learning how to not to grieve the Holy Spirit and how it is He's sealed. We're going to do so by asking three questions. You all can look as so often. Jeffrey does a great job posting on the back of our bulletin. There's some notes there, a few Scripture references. You're free to use those as we go through the sermon. But first we're going to ask, I think, who is the Holy Spirit that we might not grieve Him? Who is this we're talking about? We hope to answer that with a few points to help us to better understand enough to ask, how do we not grieve 
the Holy Spirit. And then if we have enough time, that will allow us to further investigate how it is that He has sealed us for salvation. So first I ask you, who is the Holy Spirit? Who, who is He? What does He look like? How do we worship Him? What, is, what does He do in the church? We know there's a lot of different backgrounds here that, that have experienced this different ways. They might define this in different ways. And even within the own church, our own church, we might struggle with this topic. We've had a lot of uh, good debate, I think, uh, around this. It might be said that believers have often struggled to understand what the church has often struggled to teach. It's a difficult topic for us this morning, a large one for us today, or so I felt in preparing this. You know, and there's even uh, in a film some of you have seen, I haven't seen the film, I've uh, heard some of the book, but Heaven is for Real uh, was made into a film in 2010, documents a, a three-year-old boy and his experience of, uh, of visions of heaven uh, during an emergency procedure and it was really an attractive film because he was able to recount uh, vivid pictures of deceased grandparents that had been gone for some time. He has uh, really uh, intricate pictures of God, the Father, that are similar to some of the visions we have recorded in Scripture. He's got a colorful view of Christ riding a, a rainbow horse. And then he's asked about the Holy Spirit, and he says this, he says he's blueish and hard to see. Bluish and hard to see. Isn't that interesting? Now, I'm not going to debate with you the validity of the boy's vision or anything like that, but I think that that's a good place for where we are as a church is the Spirit's kind of bluish and hard to see. He's hard for us to understand. I'm convinced that given a little bit of study that we're even guilty sometimes in our prayers, the way that we approach the Spirit, this third person in the Trinity, God, the God we worship, and so our ignorance is no excuse. Paul thinks it's very important. He includes it in our text this morning. Don't grieve the Spirit. It's important. Even in the introduction, if you would go back a few pages, just in chapter 1, in, in his introduction to the church at Ephesus, he says, I believe in, uh, let's start in verse 13. He says to the Ephesian church, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now, that's going to be our third point. I don't want to overstep. I just want to show you the importance in his introduction. He includes this identity, this person, this presence of the Spirit. He doesn't stop there. He goes into his prayer for the church when he addresses them. And in verses 17 and 18, says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having your eyes enlightened that you may know that which is the hope to which He's called you. What are the riches of His glory? Inheritance in the saints. The Spirit's got a lot to do with what we're about as Christians. It's important that we slow down and we dive a little bit deeper and see why does Paul include this in his message. So because the Spirit is hard for us to see, I think it's best we're going to answer this in three points and to see uh, three ways in which we can witness the work of the Spirit. 
having just celebrated Christmas and spent a lot of time celebrating the incarnation of the Word of God, that's Christ, we should be able to see the Spirit is somehow uniquely tied to Christ and His ministry. That's your first point. He is uniquely with Christ. Now, how is that? Our family, we went through a chapter of Luke each night as we approached Christmas. This sort of gives us the full gospel. And right in the very first chapter, it really puts you in the Christmas mood because we see this promise to Mary of the coming, the coming one, the Son of God that would come through her. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and enabled the Word of God that's been promised for thousands of years to dwell with man. The Spirit. Uh, Jesus would go on. He would grow in stature and wisdom. And He would begin His ministry. In Matthew 3.16, we read about Jesus' baptism. Jesus, the Son of God, goes into the water. He comes out. We read of the audible voice and the approval of God the Father come down from heaven. And then there's the Spirit. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of the Trinity. The Spirit comes and alights on Him like a dove, ordaining Him for the ministry that was set before Him. We know all this to be true because Jesus goes on. He preaches with all wisdom, giving signs and wonders and, and, and all this miraculous work that He does, all proving what was prophesied about Him to John in John 1.33 that this is the guy, Jesus, that we worship, is the guy upon whom the Spirit fully rests. And we know and we'll celebrate here pretty soon right around the corner that the Spirit is to blame for the resurrection in which we all have our hope. The Spirit's uniquely involved with Christ. So too, He's uniquely ought to be involved with us and, and, and we ought to be concerned with that. Also, the Spirit is present in creation. In all of creation, we can go way back to the very first verses of, of God's Word as we have it preserved for us. And we read in verse 2 of the very first chapter, darkness was all over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now this isn't a power of God the Father somehow extending out and acting as the Jehovah's Witness would have you to believe that this isn't a person at all. But this is a person of the triune God that's not really, doesn't seem to be acting at all. He's, he's hovering. It's a sort of personal. It's not an action, really. I mean, he's just there. The person of God, third person of God, the Holy Spirit, present, really omnipresent over all of creation or, or really all that was to be created. The Spirit is present in creation. There's a bit of overlap. We really don't have to leave the creation story when we look at our third point. The Holy Spirit is given to man. In a very general sense, we could read in 2 verse 7 of Genesis that God did something spectacular. Above just creating man in the image of God, He breathed into him the breath of life. We should understand that general work of the Spirit in this creation of man. Um, that's really the, the same Hebrew word. Without going too deep in a word study here, we just don't have the time for it. We should understand the Spirit's involvement there because uh, there's similar vocabulary used in the Greek. One of my favorite passages of all time, 2 Timothy 3.16, says, 
Uh, all Scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, training, reproof, correction, and righteousness. It's all God-breathed. We know this is the Spirit's involvement. It's also interpreted God-inspired. Um, and, and we know that, that this is for sure the Spirit's involvement. Peter makes explicit what Paul implies whenever he says in 2 verse 121 that, or, uh, chapter 1 verse 21 that none of the, it was none of the prophets who spoke, but man spoke as carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. Us as Christians, no, I'm not sure if that's my mic acting up. I'm sorry about that, guys. Um, we also know for us Christians there's something much greater than this. Whenever I say the Spirit is given to man, we could look at, at the profound events of the Pentecost and Acts whenever God the Spirit came down upon the church and empowered them with, with this great power and gifting for the spread of the gospel. But more than this, out of the passage that Andrew read this morning, we see there's a promise of something greater Himself given as He indwells us and enables the dwelling of even the Spirit of Christ Himself. The Spirit's especially given to you and me. Jesus actually hinges all of your salvation on that very fact whenever He says in John 3, 5 that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the Spirit. This is a big deal. There's a sermon in each one of those. Um, we're going to try to wrap it up a little bit quicker than that, so I'm not going to trouble you. Hopefully, you're beginning to understand just how big of a deal the identity, the presence, the work of the Spirit is for us today who gather in the name of Jesus Christ. So how, how is it that we could grieve the Holy Spirit? I want you to please be, be gracious with me. This is the sort of negative side of this sermon. Um, how do we grieve the Spirit? Uh, Andrew said, and maybe his version reads, uh, don't quench the Spirit. We could go, I believe there's, there's two different Greek words there. We could go to 1 Thessalonians 5.19 and see that same exhortation. Paul, the same author that we have today, say do not quench the Spirit. And I think without um, getting too unsettled with what does he mean? Don't quench the Spirit. Don't, how can we stop the Spirit's work? We believe in a sovereign God. I think it's clear that that the same idea is at work. Don't grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit. Don't make God sorrowful by somehow not allowing Him to, to bring His work to completion. If all that's true, the Spirit was present in creation and, and, and He's present in, in the work and really all the work of God. We couldn't say that anything is just His, but that everything, in everything, the Spirit plays a part and then He indwells us. He enables Christ to be risen and, and us to be risen with Him. And He comes into us and, and really He dwells within us. It's altogether inconsistent. When we read about, about these behaviors of, in, in Ephesians 4 that really we've already been through, it's already been preached to you, uh, hardness of heart and anger and sin and theft. and like This stuff just cannot happen. It's inconsistent. The Spirit of God is in you. 
How could you possibly do that? Don't quench the Spirit. Um, So we see, if I can put it this way, not only do we grieve the Spirit when we quench the Spirit, we grieve the Spirit when those who are sealed by the Spirit, as we've read, are not filled with the Spirit. Now these are two separate things. I don't want to confuse you, but all through Acts you can see, just like Pentecost, we already mentioned, but we see Peter who was an apostle of Christ, surely he was sealed with, with the promise of salvation. We're not questioning his salvation, but there's something different whenever he was filled to the brim with the Spirit in his bold preaching at Pentecost. Several times similar language is used of Paul in his preaching when he's overly filled with the Spirit. But this is something entirely consistent with all that they've made their life to be and they subject themselves and submit themselves to this regular filling with the Spirit. They're about the Lord's work. There's, there's two different things and I think that somehow or another when we quench and, and sort of put out the fire of the Spirit in our life, we think that we can slow down the work of God, that He saved us, but it's not for much yet. That those, those, those callings and those purposes are someone else's to fulfill. I think that we grieve, make sorrowful the Spirit of God. So I want to step away. I, I, I've done a great deal of teaching already this morning. We've, we've scoured the Scriptures and we've studied and we've seen, okay, this is true, this is true of, of the Word. We see it's documented. This is historical what you're saying. But I'm convinced that God has brought this message before the church today for a purpose. So in layman's terms, if you allow me to handle this text, the Spirit of God is grieved... If I understand all of this correctly, whenever you come up here and are buried in the waters of baptism and you're raised out of that water, but it's not to newness of life. The Spirit's grieved whenever there's really no transformation. There is no no new, nothing different. Um, The world doesn't see anything different. We leave out of here and and we go to, to Bill's or out to eat, and we look like everyone else. We think that our workplace has our best interests in mind as they provide for us through, through, through money and overtime, through a paycheck. We think that the school has our best interests in mind. It's their job to raise our children up in the Lord. There's no real difference whenever there's nothing when we have any of these things you should not come to this text and say well I'm slipping a little bit in anger I'm slipping a little bit in greed and all these different things but I'm going to try harder that's that's not that's not what's what he's saying he's saying this these behaviors cannot exist in the one who's been born of the spirit don't grieve the spirit you've been filled with him what's the hold up How can the person who really believes they're saved by God want Him to stop short of any change? Whenever He comes into you, when when we're saved, it's a glorious moment. We've been blessed 
with baptisms. That's a miracle. People have been saved from spiritual death in this church. But whenever we're saved like that and we receive the promised Holy Spirit that we've already read a couple different passages in the Bible, and yet the angels cannot glorify God because of our life. It doesn't make sense, does it? That we can, we can be somehow born of the Spirit and expect He comes in into us to dwell in us, but it's not into a temple, but rather a prison. I hope you see that grieving the Holy Spirit is a huge offense. Because this is the greatest gift of God to the believer. We can ne- It's hard for me to fathom the gift of Christ. All that He endured, what He went through, and, and He enabled us to come in. That's not all. He, he continued to give of Himself. Even the Spirit of Christ, our Word tells us, dwells within you. The overall connotation for this text is not negative. It's not just doom and gloom and well, all of you all are just ruined. You've got all these, none of you saved. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying you are. This letter is to the church. What Andrew read in Romans was to those Roman Christians, those who did believe, those who he said have been sealed. You were sealed, past tense. It's happened. It's made sure. We're Baptists. We say, hey, I can be sure of my salvation. I know I'm saved and I have proof of it. What is the proof? This seal of the Holy Spirit. It's not given to everybody. If you haven't experienced Christ in that way, don't fool yourselves into thinking that, oh yeah, God's in me and and, and with the pantheism that we see printed on all the t-shirts, you know what I mean, at the mall. But this is something that's very specific and special and intimate with the one who believes, who's been redeemed out of their sin, the scales have fallen from their eyes, their heart has been ripped out and crushed, and a new one's been put in, and the Spirit comes in to dwell with that person, you, whom God knows, the hairs on your head. This is a very intimate thing, and I want you all to understand that's the message. The message is not that, oh, you need to go change yourself. You've fallen short of the salvation. I've somehow, it's not to completion, but that, hey, I've done this work. Now, just walk in it. Continue in this new light. Philippians 2 promises this. Paul is convinced when he writes to them, I'm confident that the one who began a work in you, or not Philippians 2, but in his introduction in the book of Philippians, I'm confident the one who began a work in you will bring it to completion. He will do it. There's nothing that falls short in the life of the Christian. I would have you turn to Romans 8 this morning. What Andrew read, I'd like to go back there. Romans 8. (laughs) 
We could talk all day about how God is sovereign. He's going to do His work. He's going to to accomplish what He set out to do. Uh, He's sovereign. If He wasn't, it wouldn't be God. I'll begin in 9. You, however, in verse 9 of chapter 8, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit, listen to this, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Romans is a really great book. It's one of my favorites. It's the closest thing we have to a systematic theology in the Bible where Paul just breaks it down. I could have easily come to chapter 8 and and just read through that and, and closed our book and been done. He explains this work of the Spirit. But I want to ask you a question. If you're a Christian, do you believe it? Everything we do is centered on Jesus Christ. It's in the very word Christian. And if that's true, it's all because of this work and involvement of the Holy Spirit that is promised He's here today. Involved in each one of you, amongst us, we gather with Him and we act as if it's not. We come and we pray as if maybe this is a force of God, but if it's not, oh, would you please be here? Would you please meet with us? As if, and it's, it's all because of our, we don't want to acknowledge that He's in us. We've got a promise. We better act like it. The unity, unity, we talk about unity. Everything we do in our church that unity is simply a symptom. It's, there, there is no checklist for you to do. When we're united in Christ, when we have the Spirit and He dwells in us, these things are true. So our text this morning is about submitting to that gospel. It's about letting it be true in our life. It's not about calling you to some uncomfortable, unbiblical, or or whimsical view of the Spirit. Has anyone been to a Broadway show? Anyone? River Park, in Nutcracker, any of that stuff? One Tina's shyly raising her hand. Okay, I also know we have some music performers. Who has been on stage in a performance? I'm talking about the stage lights right now. Is it... Have y'all been, have you been to even a, your kid's school program? Okay, you've seen the stage get lit up. Have you, has anyone seen those lights? A lot of you may, may not have because they're often hidden behind the curtains above or they're hidden below the stage down here because they're not meant to look at. Has anyone looked at those lights? Oh my goodness, yeah. We see some kids raising their hands. Oh, it hurts, doesn't it? How'd that feel? Man, they are bright as the sun. They're not meant to look at. They're meant to illuminate the stage. They're meant to to reveal the plot, to point intensely upon the main character. We don't look at them. Daniel, I'm sure, has been on stage. They're hot. He feels it. I can't look at it, but it makes me sweat. I mean... Those are, it's a very intense light that is not meant to look at, but that the entire show relies upon. Do y'all understand what I'm getting at? 
we have we have uh, metaphors in, in the scripture about the light, don't we? Walking in the light and staying in that. And so that's what I'm asking you to do is allow the Spirit to reveal this, but be in the light. You have to rely upon that work of the Spirit. Do not grieve Him. When you step out of the light, something that's crazy blows your mind. They can change props. They can change out the entire scene. They can do all kinds of things outside of that, that spotlight in a, in a, in a program like that on stage. Because if it's happening outside of that light, that's not us this morning. I don't want to ramble, but I want to encourage you because the message this morning is a promise. If it's true, if we round that out and we, and we end where we began and we see that what's being said here is really a repetition, we've seen that we are, in light of all of this, what we're supposed to now be, we are created in the image of God. This is a reality for everyone. Then we come to our text and we see that there is evidence of salvation in the life of everyone who believes. And that's that you're actually sealed for the day of redemption. That you are saved and you will glorify God when He comes back with praise. And then there's an example that's in Christ. Lucky for you, we get to hear more about that in the weeks that come. So if this is true... If this is simply an evidence, all we've got to do is walk in it, submit that there's a promise He's going to bring it to completion. There's a promise you've been sealed. It's just like a stamp on an envelope, you know, the old wax seal. It can't be broken except by the one who's going to receive it. Isn't that amazing? We're not waiting. We wait joyfully for the Christ to come back and do all of this but we're not alone y'all need to come to Jared's Sunday school class too because this has always been true we're never sent alone Moses wasn't sent alone he talked about that this morning he said he said to him I'll go with you I'm going with you to see Pharaoh well we've been given the spirit of God the great commission tells us when you go into all the world and preach to all the nations Go, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. How does that happen with the Spirit? Understand, when you leave this place, it's not so that you can take a good work and it can make you feel good for six more days. It is in power with equipment of this message that you go with God in you to preach this Word. Whenever we call people to get involved in our ministries, it's not with people to set, set with the kids for an hour time because you're our church babysitter. It is because you've been called and equipped by God to see a childlike faith displayed if He would simply reveal Himself to them. Please don't mistake what we're about as a church. And there is good news. Good news. That's what the very word gospel means if you don't know this. If this doesn't sound like a Christianity you've heard before, that it isn't about try harder, be this, say these things, walk this aisle, take a swim, you're done. And we're talking about something far more radical. Listen closely. Respond to a work that's been done, fully accomplished, 
And that's not it. He goes in you. He's going to make some really profound changes in your life. He's going to lead you to do things you would never do. I had a man literally tell me, some of you know the times that I've got up in the middle of a service and left. Maybe I should clarify, it's not because I'm angry with Andrew and I don't like his preaching. It's because I've been filling in other places through the past year. I've had somebody literally tell me, like, man, if I saw you on the street, I wouldn't say that guy's a preacher. And I'm a little bit late with the beard thing, okay? I'm more biblical than you guys. But the reality is I would never do this. I tell people, we, we pray Wednesday night and how we need to love people and this should be natural for the church. And I want you to understand, I don't naturally love people. I don't like anybody. But the Spirit of God does this crazy thing and makes me somehow care for people that I wouldn't normally care for. It makes me want to talk to them. It makes me go to work and risk my job and have them ask, why are you here then? If this is all what it's about is the Word of God. And I said, because you're here, brother. You need this. Thank God He's placed factory workers in this church to administer to our factories. Every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group will be reached. This county is no exception. I could spend hours in awe of this message. It doesn't make sense to me why God would come into me A lot of people who's hung around, they remember a long-haired boy chasing a girl. They never would have expected this display. Please, don't grieve the Spirit. This morning or ever, this message is to the believer. To the unbeliever, this sheds an immense joy, something you've never heard of, a God coming down for you. And in you, if you have any questions, you can talk to Jared, myself, Andrew, or any one of these other ministers around here who you've heard listening and ask them, what is the gospel? What is he talking about? How can that be true? And read the book of Romans and allow Paul to fully explain this truth to you this morning. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, that we wouldn't grieve Your Spirit this morning. We come to You. We fall down at the feet of Your Son. Father, I pray over this, these people specifically that You would usher them in by Your Son, through Your Son, by Your Spirit, Lord, that You would draw them to see this beautiful reality. For those of us that are sealed, we have our salvation, but Lord, we don't want to stop. We don't want to stop by memorizing a verse, but by having Your entire Word written on our hearts. We don't want to stop by supporting a missionary family, but by giving our very life for the Gospel. We don't want to stop with a few corrected sins. But we want to run 
the race until we reach Your beloved arms. Father, I pray that in this next year, You would bring Your work to a completion. Father, that we would see saints go boldly, that we would see our community profess Christ and repent. Father, that You would send Your Son We ask all of this in the power of Your Spirit and in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.